want to talk about missions. Show of hands, how many of you have been in the Lord three years? How many five years or more? Ten years. Fifteen years. Wow. Twenty years. Twenty-five years. Thirty years. Thirty-five? Forty? Forty-five? Fifty. Wow. I'll stop there. <laughs> Fifty years. Fifty years. Fifty years. New believers have challenges. Old believers really have challenges. We've been around this thing so long, it's really easy for just, you just settle in and there are things that you kind of forgot. We're in a place where I think God is trying to redo some foundations. Amen. And here in particular at Rockside Church, one of your foundations is missions. Now, I, I'm going to make a statement. I don't have time to unpack it, so I'm not even going to try to unpack it. Um, you just have to trust me, and if it really keeps you up at night, call me, and I'll explain it to you. <laughs> As the church, in the West in particular, when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell. <laughs> I used to tell our folks in Antioch, sometimes it's good for you not to be in my head. <laughs> when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Most of us have this picture of the church just trying to keep Satan and the world off of us. You understand in, in nations, older cultures in the Middle East in particular, that the, gate, the elders sat at the gates. Those were protected places. Gates are not offensive in nature, they are defensive in nature. Okay? You don't win wars by gates. You keep enemies out through gates. They're defensive. That's what I mean by that. So when Jesus says the gates of Hades will not prevail against his church, he's not talking about a defensive church. He is talking about a church that is on the offense so much so that all that hell wants to put up to keep you out, he can't keep you out. All right? Amen. Okay. You're around long enough, we get really comfortable and we decide to decide, okay, this is a fairly safe place. There ain't no safe places. Yeah. There are no safe places. Yeah. You know? Gates Mills, Pepper Pike are just as dangerous as Glenville, Huff, Collinwood and those other places. There are no safe places. Why? Because there's an enemy who occupies all of them. Yeah. So we need to learn to be on the, on the offense. And so 
that when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, he's talking about a church that is going out, that is offensive, it's pushing out gates. We see it the opposite. We're trying to keep the world out. Jesus says, no, 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 no. And so when he says, I will build my church, trust me in this. And like I said, if you want to know how I came up with this, then we'll have a sidebar conversation. The church as we know it right now accomplishes maybe, maybe two-tenths of one percent of what Jesus had in mind. Two-tenths of one percent. Because he had something altogether different in mind when he said, I will build my church. Most of us, I'll, I'll, I'll be as I'll go as far as to say, none of us in our lifetime have ever come close to seeing what he had in mind. So there are all of these foundations that we know that are there because they're scriptural and we practice them. One of them is missions, and missions goes right to the heart of things. So here's where I want to start. Up in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Pastor Michelle, I'm only going to get started on this. Can we, can I finish this next week? I can start, I mean, I, 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 maybe I'm putting you on the spot by asking that. I just think it's so important and my world just turned upside down, all of my schedules. <laughs> but I, but I, I feel like a real urgency to, to do this. Um, Okay, we'll just get started and I can finish this next week. But it's important that you get it because it's in your DNA. Ephesians chapter 1, um, Jesus or, or Paul writes this, verse 18. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Note that in your Bible, because I want you to look now in chapter 2. I want to show you something. Beginning in verse 7, Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love which he had toward us, talking about how we formerly were and how we are now, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I want to, to just encourage you with how important your vantage point is. Your vantage point is extremely important, not only in this, but in everything that gets done. I shared the last time that I was here that the trajectories that need to be normative for us are heaven downward. Whatever's going on there, we better be aware of it because that's where it's going to be manifest here. How did the Lord teach us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done. How? As it is. So where's it being done? 
first in heaven, and he wants to bring it here. We spend all our time trying to get us to heaven. God's saying, no, I want heaven to come here. Now, we'll be with him, but it's the issue of what it looks like here. That's the thing that's so important for us. And so here, Paul's talking about that. Look at what he says in verse 20. He says, he raised him. Who raised him? God raised who? Okay, let's just, let's just figure out who the players are here. The Father raised Jesus. So God the Father raised Jesus, and then what did he do? Seated him where? So the Father raises Jesus, puts him at his right hand. Do you know that, that, that in Hebrew culture, your right hand is your preferred hand? It's your favorite hand. When I, when I meant, <laughs> I started to put this another way. When I messed up my hand, it was my right hand. Why was that so difficult? Because it was my dominant hand. I couldn't shave. I had to do, learn to do everything left-handed because my dominant hand, the hand of my strength, is my right hand. And so this is where he is. The father raises the son, seats him at his right hand. Where? In heavenly places. Heavenly places. Verse 21. Far above all rule and authority, and power, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. There was a song we used to sing, far above all rule and authority, and power, and dominion. Any of you know that song? Some of you do, okay. But it's important that you note that, because where he put Jesus, not just above, far above, far above, so that this has no effect on this. How many of you have been in airplanes? Most of you have? Good. Some more recently than others. The nice thing about airplanes is, <laughs> how long of a flight was that? Uh, 13, hours. 13 hours. You know what I love about airplanes? Airplanes allow you to see things that you couldn't see any other way. You get a great view of things from airplanes, you know? High up, that's a place. So where's Jesus? He's far above all of that. So he's not just, you know, here, we can see everybody in this room. It all gets dwarfed when you're at 30,000 feet. But boy, you can sure see a whole lot of stuff at 30,000 feet. You get a much better view. We need to get rid of this idea that I can accurately assess and discern everything from where I'm, where I'm sitting, because you can't. You can't. You see this tiny little space. I keep the thought about Aladdin comes to mind. You know, great cosmic power, itty bitty living space. Okay? But that really does amount to the, the effectiveness of what you see. You really don't see much. So when you're above, you get a much better view. So where's Jesus seated? He's seated at the Father's preferred hand, his right hand, the hand of favor, Far above. Look at what he's far above. Rule, authority, power, dominions. 
all of the stuff that's menacing and that's giving us all of these hardships, spiritual and otherwise, Jesus is above all that stuff. He's not affected by it. He's not intimidated by it. Let me tell you, when you have had your worst day, and some of us have had some pretty rough times, Jesus didn't freak out at all over what you were going through. Because from his vantage point, he already saw what he was doing. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about his vantage point. In Isaiah 46, God calls himself the eternal God who calls the end of a thing from the beginning. You need to understand that. Because from his place in heavenly places, not only does he see the beginning place, he sees the end. So he sees the outcome. What you went through yesterday, that horrible day that you went through, he already sees and he knows what the outcome is that he has planned. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. He's looking at the end of this thing while you're just in the beginning of it. And you need to understand that. So that's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus is. He says he's above rule, authority, and power, and dominion. All of that stuff and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Anybody have an idea how many people are on the planet right now? If you don't know, seven and a half billion people on the planet just right now. That doesn't include ages to come. So he's above all of that. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty impressive place. Now, in, in chapter two, though, look at what he says. And God raised us up with him. Isn't it interesting? God raised Jesus up, who was dead. By the way, um, it, it actually starts in, 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 in chapter 1. It says, and this all has to do with missions, by the way. I don't want you to forget that. I want, don't want you to forget that. Christ was dead. God raised him from the dead. And then said, I want you back up here with me. Then when it says in chapter 2, verse 5, when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. Christ was dead, so he makes him alive. We're dead, so he makes us alive. But he doesn't just make us alive. Look at what he said. He raised Jesus up in chapter 1. Now in chapter 2, he raised us up. Where? With him. He raised us up with him. And look at what he did. Seated us where? With him. Where's Jesus seated? Right hand of the Father. Where are we seated? Right hand of the Father with Jesus. In heavenly places. So what's our perspective? We get the same view of things that God has. So when I'm battling this thing out here, Jesus isn't freaking out up there looking at me because he knows I've already got a way for you to do this. And so I get the same perspective. So rather than being intimidated by all of this stuff that's coming against me, what's my view? Lord, you're not freaked out. Neither am I going to be freaked out. I'll just stand here in you and I'll do what you ask me to do. I'll do what you ask me to do. I remember some years ago, oh, you should be glad, maybe not so glad Lawanda's not here this morning. She'd be giving me that look like, come on, Carlton. We were having some financial issues, 
And I kept doing everything I knew to do, tithe and all of that. And it's like the devil kept hitting my finances. And I just got tired of it one day. I said, okay, look, you want to hit my finances because I give my 10%? Then I'll just give it all away to him, man. I'll give it all to Jesus. Now what you going to do? So he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So vantage point is important. This is just the beginning, which is why I asked for an indulgence to do this next week. So from where do we see things and how do we see things? We see things from heavenly places, far above, out of the reach of, and the effect of all of this other stuff. You can kill me. What are you going to do? You kill me? Then I'll just be with the Father. What are you going to do with people who are like that? What are you going to do with people who are like that, who it really is no issue? You can take my life. In Islamic countries right now, when, when, when Christians are found out, you're given some choices. Give up all your, all your, your, your possessions, pay the tax, or you know what the other thing is? Do you know there are brethren in the world today who are saying, then, I have a friend, I have a friend, good friend, whose daughter is in Egypt right now. There's a warrant for her arrest. She's been making disciples. (laughs) She's got 10 levels of disciples up underneath her. She loves preaching to, to Muslims. And this is a Muslim nation. This is an Islamic nation. There's a word out for her arrest. Is it going to stop her? No. No. Because she understands that vantage point. Where are you seated? Heavenly places, far above all the other things. So, but the other thing that's important in that is this. Our vantage point is that it's from his perspective. We need to understand how Jesus sees what we're going through. If I perceive this is a horrible thing that's happening to me, then I'm going to respond in kind to my difficulty. But if I understand, Lord, this is just a tool in your hand that you're using to make me more like Christ, I can lean into that. Even though it may look like hell on earth, Lord, no, under your reign, you got this. Lawanda used to like to talk about things being father-filtered. Nothing can happen in your life unless it first passes through the hands of your father. So all of your difficulties, what do they become? They become tools and instruments that God uses to work in his redemptive thing right into you to make you more like Christ. Jesus understands that. You know how I know Jesus understands that? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he said, Father, is there a way for this cup to pass from me? You understand that Jesus didn't just come as a little baby boy. He was in all of eternity. And the cup, by the way, wasn't the pain. That wasn't the cup. Do you know what the cup was? Separation. 
for all of eternity, had never known what it was to be separate from his father in all eternity. I mean, a thousand years is a long time to me. Take a thousand years, you know, times 10 to the hundred power, and you've only scratched the surface of that. So he had always known the father's presence. And what he said was, Lord, if there's a way for this cup to pass, and by the way, in all of that time, he never had a desire that was outside of the will of his father. Do you realize that? This is the first time you ever see him ask a question and the only time in all eternity. If there's a way for this cup to pass from me. And he stops and what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He walked right into that because he knew there's a different view of this thing. Let me remind you, if a man wants to come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Make that a little bit different for you. That's the vantage point. I'll say this and then I'll pick up the rest next week. So in light of that vantage point, what is our task? I want to read you four scriptures. I'll unpack those next week. And I, and I, and I want to kind of, I told, I want to teach you something that's more of a reminder to some of you. But it'll be news to others. But I want to go real quickly through four passages. So just follow with me and I want to point out two things and we're done for today. Matthew 28. We're familiar with all of these. Verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and lo I am with you always even to the end of the age. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Luke chapter 14, verse 23. And the master said to the slave, and this is Jesus, by the way, talking to his disciples. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. And then finally, Acts chapter four verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. I want to say this, and then we'll pick this up next week. The one thing about three of those that stands out. Two-letter word. Do you know what that word is? Go. Go. Why do I point that out? Because for most of us, we have changed that word from go to come. Come. Jesus says, go. That's a sea change. My prayer this morning, if nothing else, that God would disturb you over that two-letter word, that he would keep you up at night over that two-letter word, because that is a major change of orientation. It's go. 
second thing, and it really is just a continuation of where we've been. Well, let me say this and then. It's to go. And there are three things connected with that go. Proclaim the gospel. Mark. Make disciples. Matthew. Be witnesses. Acts. By the way, Jesus didn't say go and witness. He didn't say that. What did he say? Go and be that's far more than let me give you a try. Go and be my witnesses. Like I said, I'll unpack this, but there's one other thing. This is in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Pentecost was so important. That's why Jesus had to be raised because he was the one that gave us poured out on us the Holy Spirit in the way that he knew we needed to receive him so that we could we could do the go and the other things. That's at the heart of everything that we do. And that go, that two-letter word, <laughs> the video ended with be on mission. Is there anyone in this room that that go does not apply to. So how many then, if we are sent, means I got a mission, how many then, show of hands, are then called to be on mission? you until you say ouch because it's in that that God's purposes get worked out let me just just stand I I we prayed a lot today have you realized that we prayed a lot today I just I just want to pray for you and me that we would be troubled over that go Father, in Jesus' name, you, you tell us in your word not to give you any rest until you would make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Well, Father, I pray this moment in this place that you would give us no rest until we would position ourselves in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, and in our world to fulfill your mandate to God. That your glory would fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That the earth would be full of your glory. Give us no rest. Father, I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are the one who convicts. Bring conviction, I ask, where necessary, until we would make adjustments in our lives to cooperate with you. If that means things have to go, then so be it. If that means things we have to give up, then so be it. If I need to change my mind about most of what I'm doing, so be it. If I got to leave a job, so be it. Whatever it is, Lord, give us no rest Amen. until we would adjust 
and align ourselves with your purposes. Lord, that this place might fulfill all to which she has been called. Lord, it's in your name that I pray and give thanks. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. When you leave today, when you're in bed tonight, remember, Holy Spirit, remind them in their bed tonight over that challenge to go. In Jesus' name, amen.